Welcome to Speech Class Audio with Jason Edgar. I have a script somewhere. Professor Edgar, that's what it says. I am your host for the next 30 minutes, or I guess 50 minutes. Excited to be joining you live Thursday, August 27, 2020. Uh, Speech Class Audio is broadcast live on 99.1 FM WZQC. The Q. Oh my gosh, I'm crying so much already just because I haven't been able to say that for so long. Uh, speech class audio is also presented by the Oopsaw Topics Network, reminding you to always lose your fear and find your voice. Email me at jedger1982 at gmail.com. It also says here my school email address, but you can just have that personal one or private one or whatever we call it. Uh, follow or direct message me on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at the Jedger. Follow, share, or download the show at oopsawtopics.podbean.com. If you love it so much here, and then last but not least, subscribe and review on Apple Podcast. All right, so it looks like we'll be doing this once a week live on Thursdays at 1, God willing. Like you think, yeah, nothing will stop us now, and then suddenly a pandemic hits. And so what we're going to do, Chicagoans, from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock every Thursday, is we're going to have speech class. That's right. I'm going to give you public speaking advice every Thursday at 1. And you probably need it. You know why? Because, actually, I'll tell you why in the uh, in the presentation I'm about ready to give you. But this show is going to be basically, as mentioned, speech class audio. And we're going to give public speaking advice, uh, helpful tips, and uh, learn how to argue correctly. Make sure we know how to separate misinformation from credible sources. Stuff we all need in 2020. Because how many times have you been told, hey, you should take hydroxychloroquine to solve your COVID, and it turns out it's not that great. Maybe we need speech class audio in our life. So anyways, since this being the first week that we're going to be live on WZQC, the Q, I thought, well, why don't we give the base level uh, public speaking uh, model, not model, but the, 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 the fundamentals of public speaking for our first week, and in that way we can like slowly move, you know, Throughout the semester. This is week one, so why not we talk about week one stuff? And believe it or not, public speaking is a version of what we all do, which is communication. I'll talk to you about more of the specific context of communication besides public speaking. Um, but the reason I even feel qualified to have a radio show, and the reason why Neil gives me a radio show, is because, well, I've been teaching this subject for 16 years. That's why I call myself Professor Edgar. Um, you don't have to know if I'm like on a professor tenure track or anything like that, associate, alternative, whatever that may be. I'm a professor. There's multiple definitions of what a professor is. And my definition of what a professor is is somebody who teaches college. Well, did you write, did you write three or four articles for the NCA? No. Instead, I taught 17 classes at the college level. So if I'm not a professor, who is? The only thing that doesn't make me a professor is I'm not absent-minded. Unless I think I am. But anyways, I've also been a public speaker for 24 years. That's right. In 1996, I took freshman-level debate classes because I was told that three years of competitive speech and debate would equal a college English credit, and not a college English credit, a senior English credit, and then I wouldn't have to take senior English. And I was like, sign me up. 
And then, like most speech and debate students do, I become infatuated with speech and debate and the competition of it all. Like, it's fierce. It's, it's more fierce than NFL football with way more awards. In fact, you know what's funny? They even, they, back in the day, they even used to call high school speech and debate the National Forensics League. Forensics, if you ever hear me talk about forensics, means speaking for a judgment. I don't know why I'm burping so much. Like, I'm literally drinking water. But I've also been a dad for 19 months, but I'm not going to give you any dad advice. Make sure them bottles are clean. So anyways, what is communication itself? We know that talking to your friend is a form of dyadic communication, two-person communication, giving a speech, obviously, is public speaking. This whole radio show is speech class audio. But how does communication actually work? Well, you need a person to be able to communicate. And I guess it doesn't have to be a person. I guess your cat can communicate to you. But communication begins when it, with a sender. A sender is a message initiator, meaning they want to send a message to another person or to another animal. It doesn't have to necessarily take a certain form. It just has to be a, a message. So we send and receive messages to our spouse, to our workplace relationships, to our family members, uh, we, uh, if we are in mass media, like myself, sending you out a message uh, over the airwaves, and also just simply that speech. What if I wanted to, to deliver a speech at Morton College on the subject of, subject of DACA? I would be in front of a, I would be at a podium, it's speaking to that audience, communicating to them, and I would be the message initiator. And that's what I'm sending. I'm sending a message. A message is any idea, thought, concept, action sent verbally and non-verbally from sender to receiver. That is a huge definition for our class because what speech class audio is going to teach you is how to get that message across. What my public speaking class is going to teach you is how to get your message across. And it doesn't have to just be face-to-face. -face. You don't need to be face-to-face -to, -face to get your message across. In fact, there's two facets. There's face-to-face -face communication and there's computer-mediated communication. And if you remember, if you were a full-fledged student back in March, you notice these two differences. One minute you're in a face-to-face -face class with 23 people in your class and a professor that you shake hands with every day and you, you know, I don't know what the kids are doing all day, you know, giving each other nucks or whatever. Do you guys still give each other wedgies? And then just like that, we're all on Zoom. Just like that, everything is asynchronous or online on a schedule. It's because the face-to-face -face communication had to turn to computer-mediated communication so we could be mole people for eight weeks. So it, it's communication that had to change with the coronavirus in March. You still get the messages from your professors. You still get the messages from your bosses, but they're sent computer-mediatedly because that way we can socially distance ourselves. And what are we sending? Uh, who are we sending this message to? Or are we sending it to the receivers, much like a quarterback uh, throws to his wide receivers? But the receiver is the message target. Uh, in this very facet right here, this podcast slash radio show, uh, I don't know who my audience is. It's basically whoever chooses to listen. 
It could be the people at 99.1 WZQC, the Q, or it could be my podcast listeners. In a public speech, it's clearly your audience. When Donald Trump hosts a rally, the receivers are his followers if he is the sender. And his message is, well, the Republican platform. And then uh, I already talked about mass communication. And then a dyad, a two-person communication, that's simply what it is. A sender and receiver sending and receiving messages equally. That's the reason why whenever you open up a text message chain, it's only two people, or unless it's a group chat. Send and receive messages back and forth, and that's what you get. You get your bubble, their bubble, your bubble, their bubble. And speaking of your bubble, their bubble, if you're not sending a message, you're providing feedback, which is the receiver's response to the message. And if you're joining us, I'm talking about the basic communication model to set the fundamentals of our speech class audio class. You have a sender who's a message initiator sending a message that is any idea, thought, concept, or action sent verbally or non-verbally from sender to receiver, the message target, and the receiver provides feedback. And by the way, Unless there is a, unless the communication chain is broken, you cannot not communicate. Like imagine, if you will, we are great friends, and you wave hi to me across the quad at Morton College. I'll wave back at you. In fact, I'll try to get close to you so I can give you some sort of close distance salutation, like a handshake. Or what did I say earlier, nucks? But what if I didn't like you? What if you waved at me, and I made eye contact with you? And just and turned away. So you knew that I wasn't waving at you. Is that communication? Sure. It's nonverbal communication and it is feedback. So you cannot not communicate. You're always communicating something. And sometimes in some instances, especially with our eyes, we can't control it. You can't control the color of your eyes, and you certainly can't control the pupil dilation either. And then those are the basic four concepts or components of the communication model. But we also have the channels. We have to we have to label what the channel is, and that is the median in which the message travels from sender to receiver. Is it going to be airwaves? Is it going to be sound waves? Is it going to be face to face? Is it going to be computer mediated? And you can make an argument that since March, we we took, a, it's almost been flipped, right? Like 80% of our lives was face-to-face, 20% computer-mediated, and now what is it? 80% computer-mediated, 20% uh, face-to-face. You walk around the hallways here in Morton, you're the only one walking around. It wasn't like that in February and March. There were like tons of people. How does this connect the channel? I'm gonna <laughs> I guess it's because we're, we're doing the same percentages as everybody else. You're not going to go to any college that is taking this stuff seriously that has 13 to 21% of their college on campus. If you do, this is going to be a super spreader event. So the channel is the median in which the message travels, and I guess I was saying face-to-face and computer-mediated communication. The channels had been flipped, and then I went down a little tangent there. My apologies. But the last component of the basic communication model is we have to understand that interference exists. Interference is any sort of noise in the communication model. And in fact, speaking of Zoom, didn't Zoom have some sort of outage on Monday or Tuesday? That's an interfere. That's external interference for anybody that was wanting to use Zoom for some sort of communication. Interference can either be external or internal. 
uh, meaning like external, like all professors don't want you to have your cell phones on in class because they could ring and they could be distracting, but essentially they're telling you that they want to reduce the amount of external interference. You want the amount, you want to reduce the amount of external interference uh, anytime that you want to sleep in the morning and you don't want your baby to be crying in the other room or you don't want your neighbor to be mowing the yard or having their dog be yipping at you. If you're wanting things to be quiet, you want to reduce the external interference, and that's the reason why educational classrooms are always going to be quiet because you're, you have to have complete silence in order so you can learn. But internal interference is going to be anything like if you're having financial issues, if you have like a death in the family or someone's sick because of COVID or someone broke up with you, like you have your relationships are in tatters uh, or you're just simply sick. All these are not only reasons why you would not go to work or not go to school, but they're also internal interferences. And what are you telling your boss or your professor that day? You're saying, I am so sick or so financially unprepared for this day, or I have a death in the family, and if I were to come to class, there would be so much internal interference that I couldn't pay attention. Can I get this communication in another way? And that's it for the basic communication model. Any questions? You have a sender sending a message to a receiver who then provides feedback, and they're sending all this through channels, and make sure you can reduce the amount of interference. Let's move on. And once again, if you're joining us, you're listening to Speech Class Audio with Professor Edgar. Presented by the Oops All Topics Network, reminding you to always lose your fear and find your voice, but also broadcast live on 99.1 FM, WZQC, the Q. Follow or direct message me on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at the Jedger. All right, let's move on to the communication contexts. And this is where communication takes place. Meaning, like, what are the different types of communication when, we, when, we, uh, when we're talking about people? And, and by the way, coronavirus is a very social disease, meaning, like, it, it, it's, it's able to spread. Maybe disease is the wrong word. Virus is, is better. Uh, but it's able to, it spreads because we're being social. And communication is a social thing because you need two people to do it. You need a sender and you need a receiver. And when it's just one sender and one receiver, that is called dyadic communication. Dyadic is two-person communication. It's plain and simple. Whenever you're talking to your friend, talking to your spouse, talking to somebody at work, maybe a job interview, or a family member, all these are elements of dyadic communication. You have a sender sending a message to the receiver who then provides feedback. And let me ask you a question. What would be, if you wanted to communicate, what would be the absolute worst date or kind of like event? And what would be the best? And if you're saying the worst would be a movie theater or going and watching a movie before 2020, you would be correct. Because when you sit down for a movie, like the most basic manners tell you that you need to be quiet and pay attention to the movie. So you don't get the, you don't communicate with the other person. It's almost inappropriate to even communicate with the other person. So you don't get to know them. It's also very long. It's two hours. Like your date's going on two hours long at least. And you don't worry about Harry Potter. You don't really worry about yourself and the other person. You're just watching Harry Potter fly around in a broom for two hours. 
the best date for like a first date or if you're just wanting to meet somebody for work or like friend stuff, getting a drink. Because first off, if it's somebody you don't like or somebody if it's like a blind date and you don't like the person from the jump, chug your beer or chug your coffee and then be done with it. But if you like the person, because especially you're going to do this with your friends, you're going to be doing this with your family, you can have another drink and another drink. Make sure you get an Uber at least, right? The second communication context we're going to talk about is small group communication. And it, along with dyadic, whether it's two people, three people, all the way up to 12 people, is what we call interpersonal communication, meaning it's not public speaking. Everybody has an opportunity to send and receive messages equally. So dyadic and small group communication is an equal communication opportunity. You may have leaders, but the leaders don't have any special privileges in the group other than they are leading the group. And that's even really the definition of leadership is being capable of leading a group. Uh, What are some different types of groups? Well, we have study groups. uh, We have sports teams, academic teams. You have your family. You have work groups. And uh, big companies will tell you that they get more work more work out of groups than they do out of individuals. It's called synergy. If you've ever heard synergy before, it just basically means that a group of five people work and produce better work than five those same five individuals working individually. And you know what that means for companies? Profit. So don't hate small group exercises in your public speaking class. Because you need to learn how to participate and f- being a, be able to function as a group member because that is what the job force is going to be looking for in the future. Our third communication context is public speaking. Like that, that this, this whole radio show is based around this definition, which is one source sending, sending a message with a specific purpose to a given audience. Now let's unpack that definition. One source, it's always one person talking, even if it's like a panel show, like Real Time with Bill Maher. There's not just four people talking, there's one person talking and they pass it off to another person. So it's always one source sending a message, so apply our message um, our message definition from just a few minutes ago, with a specific purpose, so a specific purpose is going to be something like to inform, to, per, to, uh, to persuade, to entertain, to educate, to podcast to a given audience. And it has to have an audience. I'm not public speaking right now. This is more of a mass communication context. In order for what I'm doing right now to be public speaking, I've got to get away from the microphone, get away from the computer, maybe have note cards, and present to an audience of at least 25 people. Or 13 people, I guess. Actually, what makes an audience? Probably two, three people, maybe even one. Who speaks in public? Uh, politicians, uh, preachers that are always preaching at their churches, uh, comedians, and I'm going to talk about these groups later on, uh, motivational speakers. And then our last communication context, so we've talked about dyadic, small group, public speaking. Our last one is mass communication, and that's essentially what we're doing right now if you're listening to this. It's one source, me, sends a message, uh, what, intro to communication, speech class audio, to a large, unseen group of receivers. Well, I hope it's large. I mean, it's FM in Chicago and also promoting the podcast channel. 
other forms of media. We got the internet, of course, uh, radio, magazines, newspapers, televisions, podcasts, all these things. Uh, Zoom is, is just a matter of if it fits the definition. Like I have Zoom classes, and I can see all of my audience, and, and I, can, I, I can kind of make sense of what my audience is. So what Zoom actually is, is computer-mediated, and then apply your own communication context. So I'm, if I'm teaching from a Zoom classroom, then what I'm doing is computer-mediated public speaking. If you're hosting a if you're hosting a news show and everybody that tunes into it is just listening to you give the news on Zoom, then you're doing computer mediated mass communication. Really cool stuff. Uh, newspapers never really went away for starters. There's still newspapers that are around, but they they just they shape shifted. They they went online. And I know it's very frustrating these days, like opening up a. Uh, a newspaper online, and it's like, hey, enjoy this article. It'll pay seventy nine cents, and you get it for free for a month. I mean, I'm not paying for that. You're the internet. Just make more advertisements. And that reminds me, advertisements are what makes mass communication go. Think about all those examples I just gave you. Magazines have advertisements. Radio has advertisements. The internet has advertisements. I even think TikTok has advertisements, right? Once you once you log in, of course, television has advertisements, or you pay to not see the advertisements. Like I used to have a subscription for HBO. I don't anymore because it's so expensive. But the reason it was so expensive was because there's no commercials. The only commercials you see on HBO are commercials for more HBO shows. And because this is mass communication, we too have a sponsor. And our presenting sponsor of Speech Class Audio is Morton College. Did you know Morton College offers 17 associate's degrees in applied sciences, five transfer program degrees, and 40 career certificates, including programs like forklifting, pharmacy, welding, and vet tech, not to mention the number one nursing program in the Chicagoland area. Hmm, kind of something you want during the pandemic, right? Nurses, well, Morton pumps out the best ones. Morton College is excited to offer day, evening, online, hybrid courses during the fall, summer, and spring semesters to meet the demands of your busy schedule. And just speaking from experience, they also uh, teach asynchronous, meaning it's 100% online, uh, online on a schedule where you will meet on Blackboard Collaborate, or you can be in a safe, face-to-face classroom setting with 10 people and kind of like demarcations so the, the professor's like six feet away. And when you just walk around Morton College, you're going to see safe distancing. Everyone's going to be wearing a mask. They're taking it seriously. So whether you're looking to transfer to a four-year school or earn credits towards a career, Morton College has the classes and schedule for you. So for more information, call 708-656-8000. Look them up on Facebook or visit them at www.morton.edu. And that was right at 1.32, so perfect timing. That has an advertisement, but my Zoom class or my Blackboard collaboration class with Morton doesn't have an advertisement. When you're, when you're teaching, you don't have advertisements. Like, I'm not saying there. And also, this lecture is brought to you by Sonic because I'm drinking a Sonic drink. 30 minutes left. What am I going to talk about? Well, I'm going to continue talking about the fundamentals of communication, of course, because what we've already talked about was the basic communication model, sender, message, receiver, feedback, with channels and interference. 
We also talked about the basic communication context, like interpersonal communication, like dyadic and small group, public speaking, and mass communication. So now let's talk about why communication is mostly nonverbal. Even speaking to you right now, you're only getting like 7% of the total story. You're only getting 7% of my overall message. So what encompasses the other 93%? Well, the other 93% is a combination of body movement, nonverbal communication, and tone of voice, nonverbal communication. Because the inflection in my voice has nothing to do with the words that I'm saying. We might have a sarcastic tone, but that's just saying that your words aren't, mis- aren't matching up with your actions. That's what you're saying with sarcasm. Uh, when you laugh, like that's more of like a vocal emblem. And maybe if you were to be able to see me, you, you would be able to see my facial hair. And is my hair combed the correct way? And am I talking into a microphone? Do I have a computer in front of me? And all these things are like artifactual, body movement-esque types of communication. And when you hear for the first time that 93% of your communication is nonverbal, that tends to be hard to swallow because you feel like all you're ever doing is communicating with words. But are you? Like, what do you end your, 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 uh, your text messages with? Well, if you're like me, you, 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 uh, you end your, your text messages with a uh, smiley face. Or a winky face, or a LOL face, where it's like you're laughing so hard that one tear is going away on each side. Folks, that's body language. Rolling on the floor laughing, like I don't know what would be a better version of body language than that. And do you use exclamation points? Then you're, you're exclaiming. You're exclaiming the words that you're sending computer mediatedly. So don't just think that this 93% of communication that, that is mostly nonverbal only occurs face-to-face. It also occurs in computer-mediated communication, and you're better for it. Do you really think emojis are going away? I don't think so. Like every, every three months, there's like, here's 400 more emojis. Oh, I, I wanted a Ferris wheel emoji, didn't I? All that stuff is like pretty much modern-day hieroglyphics. And, and what is the vast majority of emojis? Thumbs up, like some sort of body gesture, tons of hand gesturing, hundreds if not thousands of faces. You can have different colors of the faces. Uh, some things are just labeling for symbols, like an orange is an orange, or a ladybug is a ladybug. But most of the time, you're not sending that stuff. You're sending facial features and you're sending body language or at the most like exclamation points because you're wanting to increase the amount of communication even in your text messages. And if you don't do this stuff, well, you're left with the 7% of just words. And that can be, that can be miscommunicating, right? Because what if you're in a joyful mood, but if you don't, you don't put any exclamation points, you don't put any LOL faces, you don't put a smiley face, that person might think you're actually in a bad mood. And this isn't something we really had to deal with even 10, 15 years ago, but it is important to actually try to embrace emojis and incorporating more tone of voice and more body language in your text messages and not less. And and, and whether it is face-to-face or computer-mediated communication, you really should focus on the nonverbals that you're sending because that's what you're, that's the majority of what you're sending. Sometimes people don't believe your words 
because your actions don't believe him. Maybe you're saying something and the words are correct, but like you don't make eye contact with the person or you're shifting in your seat. That person might think you're a liar or like you're just, you're trying to hide something. And it's not your you you would never say outwardly that you're trying to hide something or that you're lying. But the way you say it is is like non-verbally. It just it doesn't match up. And we believe people's actions over their words all the time. I'm sure your mother or some sort of guardian has told you that before, right? It's like some sort of advice. Like you know, watch people's actions over their words. What they're telling you is that watch people's non-verbals over their verbals. Alright, so who who gets paid to speak? Maybe not you. Or or maybe are you a politician? Are you a comedian? Are you a teacher or a preacher? I guess then I was talking more to like my Morton College students because they're going to school to learn how to public speak. But if you become a good if you become good at public speaking, there actually are jobs for you. And thinking my job, no, not radio host, but uh, professor or teacher. If, if you don't like public speaking, you're definitely not going to like being a teacher because that is your job. Your job is to be a public speaker. Your, your job is to be kind of like a modern-day philosopher slash information provider, right? Like, there's wisdom and there's, there's philosophy in my public speaking, but also a lot of it's just simply informative, Right? Like, this is how you do it, my little cupcakes, because this is how I did it, and I found success. We, we, like, we push our experience. And it doesn't matter if it's a group of 5-year-olds or a group of 19-year-olds or a group of 30-year-olds. It's talking to an audience, and you're the source, and you have a specific purpose. Uh, preachers. Like, they're the senders. The message is basic instructions to get, the, to get into heaven. Am I right? The receivers are the congregation, and the feedback is, well, the, the donation plate. I mean, I think preachers speak about as much as I do. Actually, they don't, do they? Because I'm teaching, I'm like preaching, not preaching, I'm teaching like all the time, Monday through Thursday. They do it one day a week for an hour. That's my Tuesday-Thursday class on a Tuesday is an hour, so come on, preachers. But their audience might be bigger. I can't imagine giving the... Easter sermon on Easter Sunday, we might be talking to 250 people. And your job depends on it because you want them to open your wallets, right? And speaking of opening your wallets, politicians. Like, how important is their public speaking? Like, their message is, give me money. And then I'll go to Washington and I'll shake things up. Who's, who's, uh, how do... We, we say that Barack Obama is a great public speaker, politician. Uh, Donald Trump, love him or hate him, he's able to get a coalition big enough to vote for him. That must mean he's a good public speaker. Uh, what do you think about Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, uh, Mike Pence, Kamala Harris? I'd say out of all, that, all those groups, probably Barack Obama and Kamala Harris are some of the better uh, political speakers. And then comedian. What if you just tell jokes? That's your, and your specific purpose is to entertain, and it's you, the comedian, sending your message, the jokes to the uh, to the audience that paid the, to see you uh, to see you entertain. All these things are your job is getting up in front of an audience and talking. 
And if you can do that, they'll give you money. Get on paid to give public speeches. And I think about myself where it's like getting, I mean, a, a decent living wage every month, and, or I guess every two weeks from Wharton College. And I think to myself, what did I do to, to get this money? And when the rubber meets the road, I got in front of a class and I started talking. And I say rubber meets the road because that's what my dad did. He, he hauled asphalt. He's a truck driver. What did he haul? He hauled asphalt. What do I haul? I guess I haul my brains. Like, I, I just well, I walk to my car, and I drive to Morton. I go in. I talk to people, and then I leave. And they give me a paycheck. That could be you. If you're a preacher or a politician or a comedian, I can only imagine how exhilarating to, to, it would be to be a, a, a comedian, to be able to just go up there, tell jokes, make people laugh, and then they give you lots of money. Like, think about Jerry Seinfeld and Louis C.K. and George Carlin and, um, and Kevin Hart. These guys are millionaires. Millionaires. And all they did was go up and tell a couple knock-knock jokes. Getting close to the end of our discussion here, but I'll end with talking about um, Kairos. Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. Kairos is a time to speak. And that does not mean my Tuesday-Thursday class at 11 o'clock, it's time to speak. That's more like my job. When you're speaking from a Kairos perspective, you're not getting paid. In fact, in some instances, you might be paying for it. Like when I gave a toast at my friend Corey's wedding, I had to pay $144 for a tuxedo. You know what, Corey? You're not getting a wedding gift. Because your wedding gift is my toast I'm about ready to deliver to you, and it's delicious. But I digress. And, that, and that's, that's a type of uh, special occasion speech, is the wedding toast or a eulogy. Think about a wedding and a funeral, right? Special occasions. I, mean, I don't know if I would call a funeral a special occasion, but it is a special occasion for, for the, to, to, I guess, to mark the end of someone's you know, life. Unique occasion, right? Because we don't do it very often. And then we also sometimes have to apologize in public. And, and you might not have to because the stakes are so low. Maybe if you own a company and you have to apologize to the Chamber of Commerce. But again, I mean, you're, you're doing pretty good with your life if you're owning a company that has to talk to the Chamber of Commerce. But we do see this a lot with politicians, with sports stars, with prominent people who have to apologize because their career depends on it. Um, take Michael Vick, for example. He got into a lot of hot water a couple of years ago, like a ton, maybe a, maybe a decade or two ago, about uh, dogfighting. He actually went to prison for it. Before he went to prison, he gave an apologia, which is a speech to apologize. And there he... Um, apologize. Uh, he, he kind of like laid out the issue objectively, like said like what he did, which is smart. That's what you do for an apologia. Then you apologize for what you've done to all the f- people that you hurt. And then you provide a solution so it doesn't happen again. Well, his solution was he was going to face prison time. But I think he made charitable donations. And I think specifically in his apologia, he said that he had found Christ. Like if that's true, I mean, that's one thing. But it's like, is that your solution? A very easy solution, right? Like, oh, by the way, also I found Christ. So, of course, I'm never going to do this again. Okay, well, I better see you in church every Sunday, Michael Vick. An interesting postscript to that story, 
He served his prison time, and then as soon as he got out, the Philadelphia Eagles gave him like a hundred million dollar contract. And it would be tough to think that they would even have done that if he didn't apologize. Somebody else, you know, Bill Clinton or uh, Michael Vick? I just gave it away. What about Bill Clinton? Apologize to the entire country, myself included, for having a relationship with Monica Lewinsky. He gave this apologia in 1998. It was live on television. Can you imagine having to apologize to the entire country? And and be because of what he did? (laughs) And again, he laid out the issue objectively. I even remember the line. He said something like, Indeed, I did have a relationship with Miss Lewinsky that was not appropriate. He apologized to his family, Hillary Rodham, and the American people for kind of deceiving him because he did lie about it at one point, which he perjured himself. And he told the country to move on because we are too important of a country to be embroiled in a sex controversy. And you, and you know what's interesting about Bill Clinton's ratings? Like his approval ratings at the end of his presidency and now? They're up. They're up. One of the very few presidents to ever be impeached, and he has a high approval rating. I'm not sure the approval rating would be the same if he didn't apologize for it. So what have I been talking about the past few minutes? Kairos, a time to speak. Hopefully, it's not a time to apologize. But if you have to, do it, because society will move on with you. Also not great, maybe not a special occasion to, uh, to, uh, uh, to speak at a, at a funeral, but if you ever have a chance, do so because you'd be the one that's like giving the person uh, their, you know, their, their concluding thoughts and kind of like wrapping up their life. And it can be a celebration if you do it right. Celebrating someone's life, that's an important thing. And then also celebrating someone's wedding or ce- uh, celebrating somebody's uh, promotion with some sort of celebration toast. All that is like kind of under the definition of Kairos, a time to speak. Now, I did mention, are you going to be the one that gives this gives the uh, toast at your friend's wedding? Are you going to be the person that gives the eulogy at your, I don't know, at your grandmother's funeral? Some people would probably say no, not because they are not getting paid for it. They don't care about that, but because they have glossophobia. What do you think glossophobia is? I mean, if we're speech class audio, it has to be public speaking, right? And did you know that glossophobia is the number one fear in society? People would, it, and number two is death. Like, I think Jerry Seinfeld said it, said it best when he was like, at a, at a funeral, people would rather be in the coffin than giving the speech or giving the eulogy. Really? You're that scared of public speaking? Have you ever met a snake or a shark? Or a spider? Why do all the scary animals start with S? Speaking? But the thing is, is that it's absolutely normal to experience anxiety. Because if you're a person, I don't know about a, I don't know if a fish is listening to this podcast or not, or this radio show, but it's not normal to give a speech. And I, and I say, I, I, we hear speeches all the time, but I'm saying from a human perspective, from an, from an animal that just fell out of the tree branches a couple million years ago, it's, public speaking is not a natural thing that we do. And the way I know this is because we don't see public speaking in fish. We don't see public speaking in elephants. We don't even see public speaking in the primates. They're more likely to have a funeral. Like I've seen monkey funerals, believe it or not. You can look it up on the Internet. 
man, that's great information processing, right? But you don't hear, you don't see like a monkey giving a eulogy. The only monkeys you see giving a eulogy are the human monkeys. So if you're a human, it's absolutely normal to, to experience some anxiety. But the first step to decreasing that anxiety is organization. And so if you're in my class, you've got to make sure that you've got organization and outlining of your speeches down. And I even talked about that week one. Week one, I don't even introduce myself. I don't even give the in- implicit credibility or explicit credibility to start the semester so they listen to me. I'm just saying, like, look, folks, week one organization. You've got to get this down so we can move forward. And, and, that's, and that's another reason why we do that is because it's the first step to decreasing your anxiety is organization. And I'm not sure that, that that's going to be our topic next week. It might be more something like nonverbal communication because I've already given the organization lecture like nine times this week. But uh, once again, you're listening to Speech Class Audio with Professor Edgar. Broadcast live on 99.1 FM WZQC the Q. And also presented by the Oops All Topics Network, reminding you to always lose your fear and find your voice. Something else that I like to do on Speech Class Audio is give public speaking in the news. And so I don't have an article posted just yet, or pulled up. I was thinking I was going to do some searching right now. But one thing that has really come up over the past few weeks, as you know, is the both the Democrat and Republican National Convention. And these happen every four years. They might even happen in the uh, midterm elections. But uh, it's different this year because they all have to be either like socially distanced, like I think what they're doing at the uh, Republican National Convention, or be just straight virtual, uh, like the Democratic National Convention was. And I think what happens is that we get better messaging because of this. What do you normally get at the DNC, you get Democrats talking to Democrats. So you know what's going to happen? You're going to have a Democrat come up, let's say, oh, I don't know, Elizabeth Warren. And she's going to get up and say, we need to have meaningful tax reform. Well, the whole audience is going to go crazy. And it throws off the rate of the speech. It doesn't mean anything unless you have, like, some real in-the-weeds policy discussion. And also, it's, it's just baiting your audience. Like, of course, a Democrat is going to cheer on another Democrat. And, and that's, like, what all the speeches are. And it's the same at the Republican National Convention. I'm not saying that the Democrats are just, like, lemmings. But this year, what the Democrats did was, like, it was all on television. And they had like these little vignettes, and they still and they had some speeches, but they they were previously recorded, which I don't think is is an issue. Like Trump brought it up, but then the RNC has taped recordings too. So two things happen here. One, um, if a speaker at a national convention speaks, you then have um, analysts come on and they talk about that speech. But at the convention, there's like a video going on. Well, now you don't get the moderators talking or the analysts talking about the speakers. It all flowed so smoothly. You would have Elizabeth Warren giving a speech, and then it'd go into a video on how Joe Biden helped a, a kid with a stutter. And then it would go back live to the kid with the stutter, and he would give a speech. 
And then they would go into an, another vignette video about Joe Biden helping with the Affordable Care Act. And it just all flowed so smoothly. And then you had like that 50-state like uh, roll call, which I thought was like really, really cool. And so what happens is, is, is the reason that all the speeches were kind of like Joe Biden did what he had to do, and Obama gave one of his best speeches, and Michelle Obama gave a very impassioned plea for a call for Democrats. The other reason why all these speeches were really good is because they had plenty of prep time. They had plenty of prep time, and if they're recording something, they can just, if they make a mistake, say, cut, let's go back and let's do it all over again. So that's the reason why Joe Biden's speech was, well, near perfect. And Obama's speech was near perfect because it was recorded and maybe in one take. But let's just say you make a mistake four minutes and 45 seconds into it, just start over and do it again. And you can do it literally a hundred times until it was perfect. So when you hear people say that the DNC did a well-executed DNC, well, of course they did because they edited everything perfectly. That's the reason why whenever you watch, like, any sort of television show, it's near perfection as far as, like, the production of it, and it's just a matter of personal taste whether you like it or not. As far as the RNC is going, there's more live speeches, but here's the thing. All of, like, the speeches sound a little bit hollow because they are practicing social distancing at the, like, the White House where they're presenting it, so there's not as many people. Like, when, when Donald Trump speaks at a rally back in 2016, there could be, like, thousands of people there cheering him on. But at these, at this, at this RNC where there's like social distancing happening in the in the uh, in the audience, and you can't really have that big of an audience anyways, otherwise it's a public health violation. It doesn't it doesn't carry the same gravitas. And also, I'm not sure if you even noticed, but Donald Trump Jr. gave a speech and it was live, and he was like sweating, and he looked like he was chewing his gum, and everyone's like everyone's like quick analysis of it was that he was on cocaine. <laughs> Like, if you had, like, a producer and, and Don Jr. comes in to give a, a previously recorded speech, the producer could be like, hey, could you wipe your brow a little bit, and could you quit chewing your gum because you look very weird doing that. But if you give a speech that's live, like, it, you're going to look the way you look. Uh, anything else I want to say about that? I'm really just burning time until the next, uh, until the next, uh, next show starts. So, yeah, that's like the public speaking in the news where it's like you have the RNC and the DNC doing these two separate things. And honestly, the RNC is doing much more of what I would call public speaking because public speaking is supposed to be authentic. That's the reason why we even have presidential debates coming up is because they are authentic. You have to react to what the other person says. And so what the Democrats did was they did more of mass communication to tie, tie all this back around, where it was like they were producing things, and they were sending it out to a large, unseen audience. I think, I think in the long run, I think people will say that the DNC did a much better job of presentation than the RNC, but actually both weren't too bad, if I were to be completely honest and objective. And also, that's what's really cool about this semester coming up, is because I'm going to have this radio show during a time when we're going to have presidential debates and you're going to have me, a debate coach, giving you my analysis on those debates on Speech Class Audio. How freaking cool is that? Okay. I like to end my shows, and I have about five minutes left here, with student emails. And it's not, I haven't had enough time yet to have a student email from week one. 
But I did want to bring up one email from a student who tried during the summer to not do any of the three higher learning commission approved speeches for the class. He went to the very end of the semester, didn't do any of the big speeches, and he's like, hey, I want to do all these speeches at the end. What would be my grade if I did all of them or something like that? And I said, first of all, I'm not going to let you do that because even though I have, like, makeup speeches and you can do makeup speeches whenever, I don't think you're putting in a, a lot of effort. And so if you're in my class right now, you know you have, like, that two-week window after the speeches. Uh, there was a time where I had makeup speech days, but I got inundated with speeches at the end of the semester. So nowadays, you do have that two-week buffer to give your speeches, and you should, and I'm going to explain to you why. In my syllabus, and if you're, if you're in a college class in Illinois, the Higher Learning Commission requires you to have three big speeches in that speech class that I, that I demarcated as speech. And so that's my class, according to Illinois HLC, and you have to do these speeches. If you did none of the big speeches, you'd make, drumroll please, a 36%. That is not great. You did the informative, but you didn't do any of the persuasives. 36%, that would be a fail. You would have to do it over again because the HLC says you got to do these speeches. At least one of them. Let's say you did one speech. I guess my previous example was, yeah, just no speeches whatsoever. In my class, you get a 36%. Let's say you did one speech. Oh, the grade went up, but it's still failing. 52%. Really? So even to get a D in the course, which is what you would get if you omitted one of your speeches but did the other two, you would get a 67%. And I'm assuming that in order for you to get a C- in that class, you would have to do everything else perfect. So is it worth it to you to miss that big speech, knowing full well that you've got to pretty much be perfect the rest of the semester? I don't think it is. So the conclusion I'm trying to draw here is that when you have a big speech day in Mr. Edgar's class, you should probably do it. Not just because the HLC tells you to, but because your grade's not going to be good unless you do. And with that, I just want to remind you once again that you've been listening to Speech Class Audio with Professor Edgar. Broadcast live on 99.1 FM, WZQC, the Q. Also presented by the Oops All Topic Network, reminding you to always lose your fear and find your voice. Email me at the show. Actually, it's not the show email. It's just my personal email, jedgar1982 at gmail.com. Jedgar is always spelled the way it sounds, by the way, J-E-D-G-A-R. Follow or direct message me on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at the Jedgar. Follow, share, or download the show at oopsawtopics.podme.com. And last but not least, subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. Now, I think I have a song available for yeah I think I have a uh, have one song for our outro music here and I think that's going to happen maybe Neil let me have it but I'm going to go ahead and play that and then I'll see you next week see you later <laughs>